0: Is not coming through. On here? Welcome to A Reason for Hope. I'm your host, and uh, my name is Adrian, and I'm... filling it is. Filling, yeah, it was... Uh, <laughs> the button didn't do it like it normally does, but uh, anyhow, I'm really excited to be here. Happy Monday, and uh, in studio with me, as usual on Mondays, is Pastor Peter Martin. How you doing, bro? Doing good. Good, good, good. This is A Reason for Hope. This is a daily, uh, every weekday, a Bible answer program where people give us their questions about the Bible the Christian worldview uh, how to apply a certain passage or the meaning of a specific passage uh, and we try to answer these uh, these questions that people give to us there are multiple ways that folks can chime in you can follow us uh, on the social media platforms that we live stream to we live stream to multiple platforms and you can check these out um, if you want to join in on the program if you're already watching this then you're probably already our At one of these platforms, but on Facebook, you can catch us on uh, our handle is at CCF Tucson. So if you just go to Facebook.com forward slash at CCF Tucson, you can find our page. And please like and share if you are um, edified by this program. We also live stream all our services to these platforms, by the way. Uh, We also live stream to YouTube, and if you happen to catch us there, we would really appreciate it if you would subscribe and hit that notification bell so that you can catch all our special events, this program, our services, when our senior pastor, Scott Richards, is teaching. We are a church that goes through the Bible, one verse at a time, chapter by chapter, book by book. So we really take an exhaustive approach to understanding the words of the bible to understanding god's revelation to humanity so it's really exciting to have that approach because you can go to our website calvary or you can download our app which i'll talk about in a minute and you can just say i want to do a study of a particular book of the bible and you can actually follow along with our pastor verse by verse and go through the entire book and not miss anything <laughs> so it's it's really a great a great way to teach and it's what drew me here uh gosh long time ago <laughs> it's been i think 15 14 years now but uh, anyhow uh, you can also follow along with us uh, not only on youtube by the way our youtube handle is a reason for hope 546 you can go to our website and uh watch it there as well um, Skip that there so if you go to our website and hit the watch live tab if you want to avoid social media platforms you can just go to our website and click there, and you can watch the live stream. There's a little chat box where you can ask questions that we can address here on the program, as well as make prayer requests, or you can just watch if you want to just listen on what other people have to ask and what our pastors here at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, Arizona have to say. We have a Bible app, as I mentioned, that you can download from the iTunes or Google Play Store. And on this app, you have a nifty digital Bible where you can leave notes, follow along on messages. You can go into our sermon archives and go through past books of the Bible that we have taught through. You can also watch and listen to this program. You can watch our services, either live or, uh, as I said, in the archives. And we can also uh, you can also add our channel to if you have Roku or an Amazon Fire product. You can add Calvary. Christian Fellowship of Tucson to your device uh, channel listing and watch our services and live streams there as well. Now, if you want to ask a little bit more sensitive question and you don't want to sort of uh, let the whole world know what you want to know, feel free to email us. And that email address is on the screen, questionsforhope at gmail.com. If you're listening on the radio, that's questionsforhope, all spelled out, no numbers, at gmail.com. We'd also encourage you to engage with our senior pastor Scott Richards. He's uh, quite the tweeter, so I would encourage you to uh, to join him on Twitter if you are on the platform. And if you're not, I'd encourage you to get out there because, well, Twitter is probably one of the only places on planet Earth that free speech is still <laughs> genuinely free speech. That in Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park in London, but <laughs> apart from those two places. There is a lot of uh, censorship that really concerns a lot of people, so I'd encourage you to go to Twitter, and if you have an account, great. We would love for you to follow Pastor Scott. His Twitter handle is at ScottR4H, and uh, and if you don't have a Twitter account, get out there and get involved. It'd be great. Before we start our topic for the day and then begin to address your questions, uh, Peter, would you like to lead us in a word of prayer?
1: Yeah. Let's do it. Great. Thank you. Father, uh, we love you so much, and we're thankful for all the wonderful things that you've done in our lives and all the things that you're doing in this world. Uh, We do pray right now for our time that we could be focused in on your truth and your goodness. Lord, even as we study some of the darker components of what's going on right now, I do uh, pray that your light would shine through it and that we would look to you as our hope and our strength in the midst of these times. We're grateful for you, God, and in your name, amen. Amen. So, today's
0: person of interest. (laughs) That's a good way to
1: put it. (laughs) Today's person of interest. So, those of you guys who have been listening for the last couple months, we've been going through some of the most consequential uh, figures in philosophy in the last 500 years that have shown the decline from a Western world that was predominated by Judeo-Christian values and has now moved into the era that we find ourselves in today. And those of you guys who have been moving through these more obscure philosophers, guys like Friedrich Nietzsche and uh, uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and uh, even guys like Percy B. Shelley, good on you. I'm glad you made it through it. Now we're getting into the people that you've definitely heard of. And we're getting into individuals that are very much their ideas are not just kind of partially disseminated into the culture these guys ideas are directly in your face they are in your supermarket they are in your politician's speeches they are all over the all over the place to such an extent that it, it kind of constitutes the culture to such an extent that some people don't even notice the undertones of these guys so we're going to look at them with a critical view and we're going to figure out where they came from and why people believe the way they do today and we're gonna do that by looking at a guy named Karl Marx. Now, Marx is by far, of all the people on this list, all the people that we've been going over the last the last couple of months, he is the worst. He is absolutely the worst. His ideas have spawned the most destructive consequences that have ever afflicted mankind. And I'm not speaking hyperbolically, right? His ideas have led to more human deaths than any other ideas before or probably after him. He is the worst human being that's probably ever lived for that reason and the legacy of Marx is a bloody one. So Mm -hmm. let's get into his ideas and figure out why they didn't turn out as well as he wanted them to. But today we're gonna break this into two parts because of what a consequential figure he was. Today we're gonna look at his philosophy. So we're not gonna get into his ideology. We're not gonna get into the nuts and bolts of communism and we're probably not gonna do that too much no matter what because this is a a Bible show, we're we're mainly trying to figure out where his ideas contradict Christianity and how we as Christians can counteract them in our current culture where, again, his ideas are pervasive, they're all over the place. So let's look at just a couple essential tenets to his philosophy today, and then next week we'll talk about how he planned on getting his ideas into the culture as a whole. So this is the first quote I got from him. This is from the Communist Manifesto. Pretty much all these quotes are from the Communist Manifesto. And those of you guys who don't know, really quickly, Karl Marx was an economist and a German economist in the 1800s. And he's essentially unreadable. He's he's written several books. His most famous is Das Kapital. And they're all like thick as a T-bone steak, dense, almost unreadable, almost unreadable. He's a philosopher. So that already makes his books almost unreadable but he's an economist on top of it, which makes it like, there's no way you're getting through that thing. And (laughs) he just, he has no sense of brevity. However, during Marx's lifetime, he got linked up with another guy named Friedrich Engels, And Engels was an accessible writer. What he did is he took Marx's ideas and he made them accessible. And that's what the Communist Manifesto is. It's an easy read. For those of you guys who have never read it, I would encourage you to read it. It's not very long. Uh, probably take you an hour to get through the whole thing and it's a very condensed version of marx's ideas and it's scary to read it in the backdrop of what's going on today so this is a quote from the communist manifesto it says this the communists are further approached with desiring to abolish countries and nationality the working men have no country we cannot take from them what they have not got since the proletariat must first of all acquire political supremacy, must rise to be the leading class of the nation, must constitute itself the nation. There are a couple points in there that I'm going to elaborate on later on, who the proletariat was and what he's talking about towards the end. But I want to focus in on something that's in this quote that makes it so dangerous. So uh, a historian named Tom Holland He had a point about Marx that I never thought about before, and it really opened my eyes to a lot of what we're seeing today and what we see in the Communist Manifesto. He said communism, Marxist version of socialism and communism, are actually not a what you call a secular atheistic worldview. He says they are actually a Christian heresy. And I had to take a while to kind of wrap my mind around that. But his point was not that they're a Christian heresy in the sense that Mormonism is a Christian heresy, and they believe in God, but it's a different version of God than us. What he means is they're starting from premises that are ingrained in Christian thought and can only come from Christian thought, and they're polluted and warped towards a particular ideology that is against Christianity. That's what he means by calling it a Christian heresy. Right here in this quote, we see a big reason why he says that. Christianity is the only worldview in world history that is not spread through imperialistic conquest. So if you go through every other worldview, even pagan religions, the way that they are spread is they're spread through borders. So you have gods, paganistic religions have gods, and the gods exist over particular nations and and nationalities and boundaries. And the way that you spread the religion is by conquering other nations, right? That's how you do it. But Christianity was this really unique idea that we serve the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was very clear about this. He says, if my kingdom was of this world, my followers would rise up and fight you guys, right? So he said to the Romans. So Christians came away from that, the sayings of Jesus, and they thought, we can't spread Christianity the way every other worldview, philosophy, and religion has been spread in the past. We have to spread it in a new way. The Apostle Paul explained what that way is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, a really misquoted verse that I'm gonna quote for you correctly right now. Second Corinthians 10 verse three says, though we walk according to the world and a war- according to the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons we have are mighty in God for casting down strongholds and taking captive every thought that rises up against the glory of God. Here's what he's saying. We are going to spread Christianity, but we can't do it through what he calls weapons of the flesh. We can't do it through the sword. We do it through the weaponry of ideas. We come against people's ideas and we convert them in dialogue, right? I come to someone evangelistically and I explain to them the gospel. And as they receive the gospel, guess what I just did? If I evangelize someone, if they give their life to Christ, I just spread the borders of the kingdom of heaven, one more time, through the hearts of man. Marx is saying that's how you spread communism. He says communism doesn't have borders, it doesn't have boundaries. Communism is an ideology and therefore it can only be spread through the hearts and minds of individuals. Now as you go through the Communist Manifesto, he basically has a, it's a mixture between Christian thought and Islamic thought where there is an evangelistic component to it, and there's also a bloody physical component to it. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But this is why communism spread so rapidly through the West. See, when you're having a debate with someone, you assume that you're having what's called a good faith argument, meaning I'm listening to your ideas, you're listening to my ideas, we're going back and forth, and let the best idea win. What Christians did not understand about communism in the beginning, and I actually think they still don't understand this, is that you're not going against a good faith opponent. You're going against an ideologue. You're going against someone who emphatically believes that you are wrong and they are right, and they will lie, cheat, steal, and literally kill to get their ideas across because they believe it serves a greater good. They don't have an ethical system that the Christians do that tell them that doing these things is wrong. (coughs) Again, very similar to how Christians messed up when it came to talking to Muslims back in the day. They didn't understand that Muslims had a concept called taqiyah. And in taqiyah, you are able to deceive the people you're talking to if it means spreading Islam further. Christians didn't understand that. They thought, oh, okay, yeah, let's, let's uh, in the 1900s, we'll talk more about this when we get to these guys like Herbert Marcuse. The frankfurt school were like yeah let's let the frankfurt school these communists come in and teach at our universities and we'll have a lively debate and it's going to be great they didn't understand that that was all part of a plan to take over these institutions hostily and once they took them over to from the top down enforce their ideas there's a reason <clears throat> why when you walk into target there is an lgbtq section there's a reason why black lives matter made billions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars supporting what they did. These are all Marxist ideas. Critical theory, gender theory, queer theory. These are all Marxist ideas that have permeated their way through our culture.
0: So you you're saying that <clears throat> these communities adopted Marxist ideas and then just sort of recategorized terms and I and and peoples rather than talking about the proletariat you're talking about now gender class and intersectionality, all this has its foundation in in Karl Marx.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm saying something even more sinister than that. Um, So what I'm saying is that these people, because they believe in Marxist ideas, they see nothing wrong with smuggling in Marxist ideology in these shades, in these guises, as if they are doing this. It's like, we're fighting for Black Lives Matter, we're gonna be fighting for gender, I mean, uh, racial equality in America, but is that really what they're doing? Well, no, Patrice Cullors, the founder of Black Lives Matter, openly said that she's a trained Marxist, right? Or how about gender ideology? Well, we're just here to make sure that all sexual expressions have equal say within the culture. Is that really what they're up to? We
0: want to be safe and we want to have the same rights as everybody else. That's the claim.
1: Exactly. Is that is that really what they're up to? No. You read people like Gail Rubin, you realize that is not what they are up to. They are up to uprooting the system that is capitalistic and democratic and instituting a system of Marxism, which is utopian. They believe that it will lead to utopia. So the ends always justify the means this is how they got into the school systems, this is how they got into the corporate structures, right? They weren't using good faith arguments. They weren't like, hey, let's have a debate and let's see what happens. It's, no, let's have a debate, and while we're having a debate with my right hand at, show visible, with my left hand, I'm taking things from you, right? Mm-hmm. I'm stealing them from you. And like I said, next week we'll get more into their means and purposes of how they did that. But uh, for now, just understand that, Marxism, Is not a bordered idea this is what the mistake we got into in the Cold War we thought oh it's just us versus Russia no it is not it is it is an ideology that permeates culture and it was present in America It was present in the West and you can't stamp out an ideology with guns and tanks that can sometimes help but it's not how you win right and you're not playing against a good-faith opponent is the other thing we didn't understand so
0: he, he's right in saying that it's an ideology, not an imperialistic growth mechanism, even though it seems like
1: communism. But they have no qualms in using imperialistic methods, just like Islam. Gotcha. So Christianity does. There were times where people, by the sword, spread Christianity, and they were immediately condemned by many theologians, pastors, and church officials. The reason why is because that's not how you spread Christianity. Jesus was very, very clear about yeah. that. It's a, it's a
0: contradictory to the Christian faith. <laughs> exactly. It's not just— Absent it contradicts Christianity
1: exactly it's It's anti-christian to do that There's nothing anti-communistic about utilizing physical force to get what you want to move this forward And then the
0: other main point is that we brought them into the universities thinking that we could dialogue and argue But didn't the ideology spread through argumentation? Are you saying are you suggesting that it didn't spread by just sharing and conversion of ideas. You're saying that there was another underhanded approach, like you said, in the one hand, I'm pretending like we're going to have good faith argument. But in the other hand, I'm actually doing something far more
1: nefarious. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. So Hmm. it was an intentional and again, if once we get to Herbert Marcuse, we'll talk more about the intention, but there was an intentional subjugation of institutions, there's a reason why they targeted universities Hmm. first. And there's a reason, and we're gonna read it in the Communist Manifesto, there's a reason why they targeted universities. Why? Because it was a way to get in charge of the teachers unions and then the teachers unions teach your kids and they don't have defenses up so they could argue against you, mm. right? So there was, there was a, this was not something that they were even being shy about talking about. Paulo Fer- Ferrari, he was very open about this, right? There's another Marxist guy who literally said, this is what we need to do in the 70s. We need to take over the schools the elementary schools, and raise up a new generation of Marxists. This is how we're going to do it, right? Um, and took them a couple years to get this across, but they, look where we're
0: at. They've been pretty successful, it seems.
1: They've done it. So um, let's read another quote. This is his idea about God. Uh, so this is from a different book. This is called A Contribution to the Critique of Hegel's Philosophy of Right. I'm not going to talk about what that means because it doesn't really matter for our purposes right now. Religion is the general theory of this world, its logic in popular form, its enthusiasm, its moral sanction, its solemn compliment, and its universal basis of consolation and justification. The struggle against religion is therefore indirectly the struggle against that world whose spiritual aroma is religion. Religious suffering is at one and the same, the expression of real suffering and a protest against real suffering. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of the heartless world, and the soul of the soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people. That's probably the quote that most people have heard. The abolition of religion as the illusory happiness of the people is deemed for their real happiness. To call on them to give up their illusions about their conditions is to call on them to give up a condition that requires illusions. The criticism of religion disillusions man so that he will think, act, and fashion his reality like a man who has discarded his illusions and regained his senses, so that he will move around himself as his own true son. God does not exist for Marx. Man is God. God didn't shape the world. God didn't make the world. Man makes the world in his own image. That's his view. So his idea is very, very different than the Christian idea. We believe in a concrete human nature that is designed by God, And that nature can take different forms, right? It could be pushed and pulled in different directions depending on the society you grow up in. Marx's idea is that because there is no God, you are your own true son. You don't revolve around anything. You make your own morality, you make your own ethics, and you make your own worldview. Man is the center of the cosmos, God is not. We create everything. And so therefore, you already see truth, subjective truth present in his ideology, but again you see this massive idea of the ends justify the means. The idea is we are pushing towards utopia, and anything that stands in our way is something that needs to be torn down, including religion itself. Hmm. We need to tear it down, it stands in the way of man's true happiness, because by putting God at the center of the cosmos, man must serve God and serve his laws. We need to kill God, we need to get him out of our culture, so that man takes his rightful place in the center of the cosmos and that man becomes his own savior very very similar to the taunt of satan in the garden of eden right we we need to become our own gods we're our own saviors there is no god out there that's going to help us along we are going to produce the world that's going to create utopia man is going to do that god is not going to do that that also means that he believed that human nature was infinitely plastic right so The way that human nature changed for Marx is the societal structures that are around you, the technology you interact with, the governmental control, the politics. This is what makes human nature. If we shift any of those things, we shift human nature. Mm. So again, very antithetical to Christianity. We believe there's a baseline human nature. And so therefore, Christians never intentionally targeted the institutions that were around them. It was a very grassroots effort. If you see Christianity marching across the West over the first thousand years that Christianity did this. It wasn't they took over institutions and started subjugating people. It's they were converting people at the bottom. You see this in the book of Acts. Who were the converts? It wasn't the wealthy, the powerful, the politicians. No, no, no. It was the peasants. It was the slaves. It was the whores. It was the tax collectors. It was
0: the people that had enough humility in regular life to actually come to faith. Exactly. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount kind of spells it out for you.
1: Absolutely, Hmm. absolutely. And that's Jesus' point. And that's our idea. Our idea is that there's a baseline human nature, and that human nature can be impacted by the gospel. There's a truth out there. God loves you. He gave his son to die for you. There's a way out of your sin. And there is a a world to come, there's a kingdom to come, brought on by the same guy who died for your sins. And and there is a way to live righteously that can impact your community. Absolutely. Hmm. Marx's idea is completely different. His idea is, you don't have a baseline nature, you are a product of your environment. Therefore, it doesn't actually, you see how I said it's not good faith, and the idea that it's, a, it's an ideology? What he's saying is, it doesn't really do me much good to argue with you, because you're already a product of your culture.
0: Oh gosh, that, it just clicked for me. So with, with, as, a, as an evangelist, I go through and say, here are the facts, mm-hmm. here's the truth, and now you decide. That's right. And what he's saying is you're incapable of deciding. I have to tear down all that made you. Exactly. First and make you into an empty shell that I can fill what I want into it. It's it's kind of terrifying.
1: It's absolutely <laughs> terrifying. He came up with a concept he called the false consciousness. So what he said is that people are at root very miserable and they need this utopian vision that I have, but they don't know they're miserable. So he literally he used this word, you problematize the culture that they live in. Hmm. You have to convince, you have to wake them up to how bad things are. So again, it's not in the idea of Christianity where I'm just going to you and I'm trying to help you see truth, right? I'm talking to you about your life, I'm, I'm do, no, 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 it's not about that. It's I'm trying to make you see what I see. You're a product of your culture and society. And so I'm gonna try to make you see what I see. And if I can't do that, I need to change the culture and that will change the individual. Hmm. It's not the idea that's going to do it. It's the culture. This is also why he believes everything must be political. Everyone complains today, why is everything political? Why is everything political? Because that's how Marx thought. Marx thought everything was political. Mm. If I believe that man doesn't create politics, but politics create man, where would I go? Right? So for me, even as a Christian and I have a political worldview, if I want to change politics, what do I do? I change your heart. Mm-hmm. For Marx, he says, no, 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 politics shapes man, not the other way around. If I want to change man, I change politics. Which is why they have to
0: stamp out Christianity, because right. Christianity will win hearts. That's it right. always does. And the only way to supplant it is to obliterate it, that's to right. literally tear it out from existence. That's right. And that's which what is what happens. What happened in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of what happened has, has happened in China. I, I've done several tours throughout mainland China and they have a Christian church the three-self church but gosh every pastor has to tape all their sermons there's always this, the Secret Service coming and watching and making sure that they're saying only the approved Christian doctrines that mm-hmm. the three-self church and <clears throat> if you're an evangelical Christian and a foreigner uh, and you're you're allowed to go to what they call international churches but no Chinese citizens can go they check your passports at the door and these services are full-blown Christian services, but nobody can go there except foreigners. Hmm. And so, you're, like, if I was a Chinese citizen and I wanted to go to church and I said, oh, there's this church meeting at this uh, convention center, I can't get in. Hmm. I can show up. They'll check my passport and they go, get out of here. You're not allowed here. Yeah. <laughs> it's
1: really crazy. Yeah. I mean, why, if you're looking around, you're like, why is it always grievance culture? Why are all the politicians complaining about the past oppressions of the evil western state? Why is it that when you go to school you learn about all the atrocities done by the west?
0: Specifically do- our own co- our own country. That's
1: right. <laughs> Not just what? European west but how bad America is. Exactly. Why do they have the black students line up on one side and the white students line up on the other side and talk about racial privilege? Why is this happening? It's because again, they're trying to wake up. They're trying to wake up the consciousness of these various kids in order for them to see the evil of the system that created them. Hmm. So that they what? Tear it down. That's the whole point. Why are they tearing the, down statues?
0: Yeah, it starts with the statues. They just removed another statue that was really just... The complaint came from high school students. Yep. They complained about this revolutionary war hero because he had slaves. Mm-hmm. He's he's a bad person, even though he was a Revolutionary War hero. Uh, that doesn't matter. He's now considered... The, the, the title of one of the articles, one of the mainstream media articles, was because he was a bad person. Yep. So let's tear it down.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh,
0: we'll try to get through
1: one or two more quotes before we move on to the question. So, Can, yeah.
0: I, can I just do a real... I'll, I'm going to incorporate a question real quick yeah. before you do that. But Absolutely. Um, so... What's I just want to understand something in, its, in this in its application, I and mean, you might get to this next week. But how is the Soviet Union version of communism mm. versus, say, the Killing Fields mm. versus Chinese communism, which has now become sort of a neo-capitalist-type form of communism versus what's happening in the West today. Is that where we're headed, or is this a new brand of communism?
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct. So communism has taken on different iterations. There's kind of the baseline idea that he lays out in the Communist Manifesto, but there's actually different ways to take it. So the baseline idea of Marx, and um, we'll probably just end with this, and then we'll talk more about it next week. And the reason I asked is because uh,
0: Yari wanted to know why don't Christians have communes like they did in Acts? I mean, isn't that the same thing? Yeah. And why is it so bad?
1: No, very very good question. So uh, let me explain kind of the baseline idea of Marxism, and then that will hopefully help you guys understand why it's taken on different forms and why it is taking on a different form in America, which, by the way, is pretty clearly a Trojan horse, right? It's pretty clearly a Trojan horse, and I'll explain why in a second. But the way that Marx describes reality is the Das Kapital, right, his seminal work on explaining his ideas and moving forward, it was a predictive text. It was not a prescriptive text. In other words, Das Kapital was not a call to revolution. The Communist Manifesto is. It ends with a call to revolution, right? I'll read that next week. But um, Das Kapital was predictive. It just said this is what's going to happen, that the proletariat, the people at the bottom rungs of societal class, are going to eventually get fed up with being mistreated in the workforce, and they're going to rise up and supplant their capitalistic managers, and they're gonna take over the workforce, they're gonna keep the fruits of their own labor, and then they're going to rise to the positions of power within the government, and they're going to be the ones having a totalitarian rule over all people. But remember, according to Marx, man is not intrinsically evil. Man is just a product of what culture and society has grown up in. So Marx believed that the reason why the capital, like why government officials are corrupt is because they've been raised in a corrupt system to believe that it's good to oppress people underneath you. Marx believed that those who are oppressed can't become oppressors. Not that they wouldn't, he actually believed that they could not ever become oppressors. This is what you see, again, I I quote this all the time, the new Black Panther movie, Wakanda Forever. It was an all right movie, I didn't really like it that much, But the underlying ideology is what would happen if a tribe in africa got access to the most valuable material on the planet and became more technologically advanced than every other nation what would they do with it nothing they would sit on it and be peaceful right they would they would just have an amazing utopian society and everybody would just live in peace and harmony in these tribes and it would be really really great they they can't even think that if a human being forget their nationality if a human being got access to a material that allowed them to conquer other human beings, they would absolutely use it to conquer other human beings. They would absolutely use it to enslave other people. It's a Marxist idea that the oppressed could never become oppressors. It's impossible for that to happen. And so when these communist revolutions happened, you had guys like Lenin who were like, yep, this is great, the proletariat's rising up, but then you got Stalin, kills Lenin, takes over the whole system, and he's not a pro, right? He's not a proletariat. Stalin did not come from an industrial farming background, right? He wasn't in the fields, right? He just rose to prominence. He's a wealthy dude, and all the people that took over Russia with him were all wealthy guys. They were all oligarchy, but oh, but we're the good oligarchs. We're the good nobles. We're the ones that are on the side of the working man. So they co-op? would
0: you say they co-opted Marxist ideology and distorted it, or was this an actual
1: natural outworkings of it? So Marx, in the Communist Manifesto, you already see him moving in that direction of, OK, well, maybe the proletariat aren't going to rise up on their own. Maybe they need someone to lead them, and maybe it will be these good intellectuals. So who... his prediction
0: was wrong, and this is sort of a form, a, a way to, OK, this isn't happening the way I predicted, because mm-hmm. it was a prediction, as you said. So those who say, no, let's make this into a proactive philosophy, right. And the way to do that is to actually realize that no one's going to rise up, (laughs) Uh, that we need to actually go in and and do it ourselves from the top down.
1: No, absolutely. That was the idea. And so that's what you see manifested in Russia. That's what you see manifested in China. Now, China is starting to understand that socialistic, pure socialism doesn't work as well as capitalism. So they're starting to become more capitalistic in the way they run their industry, but they're still communistic in the way they run their government. They've kept mm. Marx's overall philosophy, but they've just denied yeah. his, because it didn't work out. We already know socialism doesn't work as well.
0: Coincidentally, worldwide, free market, which really is just freedom. Yeah. Freedom to associate and do business and yeah. to pay and charge whatever you want. It's just freedom. It's really what it amounts to. And this is the and
1: fundamental difference between Christianity and Marxism that Christianity states that humanity is bent internally. And so you can't give any one group of people too much power. Otherwise, that group of people are going to use that power to nefarious Mm. ends. So capitalism was a way for the founders of our country. Pure free market capitalism was a way to make sure that power didn't accumulate in one central location, Mm. right? If you allow a nobility to do that, then they become corrupt. So what do you do? You allow for anyone that has the ability and capacity to run a business to rise up from from -hmm. whatever state they're in and to start running things. Right. And to make an actual monopoly illegal. That's right. And you have to keep governmental interference. Right. The government can't own the means of production because if the government owns the means of production, then once again, you have too much power accumulated in one place. Why is it that officials are elected as opposed to, Uh, as opposed to just maintaining their offices based on birth, right? So this is a quote from James Madison, and I think it just summarizes his idea better than anyone else could. Mm. So this is from the Federalist Papers, Federalist 51, and he's explaining what his philosophy is in constructing the Constitution of the United States and in the economic system that would come later. Ambition must be made to counteract ambition. The interests of the man must be connected with the constitutional right of the place. It may be a reflection on human nature that such devices would be necessary to control the abuses of government. But what is government itself but the greatest of all reflections on human nature? If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing the government, which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed, and in the next place, oblige it to control itself. A dependence on the people is, no doubt, the primary control on the government. But experience has taught mankind the necessity of auxiliary precautions. That's a way different philosophy than Marx. Hmm. He's like, no, man is bent. You give man too much power, he will abuse it, and he will abuse his fellow men. Right, that's what we see in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Moses doing great; he gets a little too big for his britches. He represents God improperly, and he doesn't. He's not allowed to go into the Promised Land. Right? Joshua's doing great, and then he gives up power, and that's the only reason why he doesn't become corrupted by it. And this predates Karl Marx. That's right. Judges. So right? they
0: weren't necessarily responding to something current. It was really just Old Testament history, that human us nature yeah. that we
1: see played out for us over and over and over again. Name any king that started out good and ended good in the bible david started out great and then he had some massive moral fa- failures solomon started out great and then he introduced idolatry to the nation hezekiah started out great and then he became complacent and he raised a terrible son so right?
0: the, so the idea of checks and balances and capitalistic freedom that is really just a system of holding one another accountable that's right we see that kind of evident right now with certain companies yeah. that sell certain products getting sort of obliterated by the market because people say, you know what? I oppose this because we have
1: power Mm. as consumers. We have power to stand up to corporations. That's capitalism. That's why it exists. So when people say is capitalism a Christian system, I would say it can only be born out of Christian ideals because it has to take a couple fundamental premises into account in order for capitalism to be functional. Number one, is that human beings are free and they're equal in the eyes of god so therefore anyone should be able to have the power to own property and own means of distribution right that's number one that was not understood by humanity prior to that point why would i just trust some random guy to do a business and to have money no no no. i should trust a lineage to do that if Mm -hmm. you're in the noble class you should be able to run business if you're not in the noble class tough luck that must mean that god doesn't want you in that position Yeah, the European
0: form of the caste system was very
1: prevalent. Absolutely, absolutely. And the second one is is that power must be created to check power. So Mm -hmm. if systems are imperfect, you need to have means by which even the individual can fight against it. That's why capitalism exists, that's why it was developed by our founding fathers. Marx didn't believe in that. Marx did not believe in any checks and balances. You don't see checks and balances in socialism. Every welfare system that's been developed by leftist ideologues within the United States has no accountability. We do not vote in the bureaucrats over, say, the teachers' union. We do not vote in the bureaucrats over the CDC, the WHO. We don't vote in the people who are uh, over, say again, even the FDA, right? These are all unaccountable bureaucratic organizations that were developed without anyone thinking who checks that person's power. They're not accountable to the taxpayer because we don't consume their product like you do at a company. We can't boycott the FDA, right? We also don't vote them in. So why should we give them the power that we did? Well, because Marx didn't believe in any uh, checks and balances. He thought as long as you get the right people in there, it will always function correctly. Now, this goes to actually Yari's question, which is a very good one. Why is it that Christians didn't stay in the communistic system that they did? So here's one thing. The lower you get a system of authority, the more socialistic ideas work. Every family is a socialism. Every family is a communism, right? So in my family, I am the head of the household. I make the money that goes into our bank account, and it's distributed by me, right? So my kids do not have a free, uh, free capitalistic liberty within my home. They can't say, well, dad, that is is my money. I am entitled to it, and I don't think you should do that. I went to bed on time, so (laughs) now you owe
0: me my pay for doing what you said uh, as my boss, as my employer. (laughs) (laughs) Kyle said the funniest thing the other day. He said... I can't have eggs. They make my stomach stomach hurt. I can only have waffles and frozen berries. <laughs> it's, it's like eggs make my, and I go, why does waffles and frozen berries make your tummy feel better? Yeah, and ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true three-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so as as the father, I have complete control of our finances. I am in, in, in fact, I am like a dictator within my home. Now I have to uh, allow my power to not be utilized to corrupt me and to utilize it to unfairly subjugate my wife and kids, but that temptation still exists. The smaller the the amount of power, though, the less tempting that is. So when the church was very, very small and people were giving money and they were laying at the feet of the apostles, like you see happening in the beginning of the book of Acts, that worked really well. Because again, you had a lot of people, you had a really weird situation happen where people from around the Roman Empire were hearing the gospel for the first time. Remember, the Jews were dispersed. They were all over the Roman Empire. The reason why they came to faith is because for one of the high feast days, the Feast of Pentecost, they came to worship God. And, in, and while they were there, they heard the gospel message from the apostles at Pentecost. They gave their life to God and they realized, we don't know enough about Christianity. We don't know enough about Messiah in order to go back to our homes and to live out a life that is faithful to God. And so what did they do? They stayed. But they didn't have any means to create money. They left all their businesses and all their farms behind. So how are they going to live there? Well, the wealthier among them liquidated their assets and they gave the money so that people could stay and learn at the apostles feet. That wasn't supposed to be a long term solution. It was a short term solution while the church was built up in Jerusalem.
0: Well and out of necessity because they were being so oppressed. That's right. So hunted down. And there's wouldn't you agree that there is a a really clear difference between a Christian commune as described, not prescribed in Acts? And I have to you have to point that out that this is something that happened, not something that's prescribed to Christians as a way of life. But somehow that the way that they adapted to their environment that was the most godly, but it was all voluntary. Yeah. Even with Ananias and Sapphira, th- Peter made it very clear to him that this is yours. This yeah. is your land, your money, you can do whatever you want with it. The The, the punishment that occurred was their deception, right. not the fact that they gave a portion. And he said, you could have given half of it and it would have been fine, because it's, it's all about charity. But when it's imposed by centralized planning, by yeah. a centralized government, Uh, that's not charity. That's a totally different kind of commune.
1: (laughs) And when you uh, look at, say, the latter parts of the New Testament, let's say in in the book of, uh, I'm sorry, not Titus, uh, in in the book of, is it Titus where where he says, if you do not work, you will not eat. Oh, if a man will not work, yeah. If a man will not work, then
0: let him not eat.
1: Right, so Second Thessalonians, people were abusing this welfare system and so Paul makes it very clear. No, no, no. In First Timothy five, and in Second Thessalonians chapter three, he makes it very clear. No, no, no. The money, the benevolence, money that the church gives out to people in need are for those who are in need, desperately, desperately in
0: need. Interestingly enough, for a widow to accept to to be uh, a- allowed to have that kind of benevolence had to be at least
1: sixty. Yep, and 60. this is in first century lifespans. <laughs> sixty no family that could support her like kids or other type of relatives that would be able to support her and she had to be a faithful member of the church who quote-unquote washed the feet of the saints meaning that she had been a faithful member of that community for long periods of time and it established her character right so we see that even towards the end of the New Testament, the Church isn't doing that anymore. Mm. They're not doing what was happening in the in the beginning of Acts There anymore. was
0: zero entitlement.
1: <laughs> That's right, absolutely, because there's danger there. And Paul says it, he says it in 2 Thessalonians 3, what did it do to people who were just taking advantage of the system? It made them lazy. It made them lazy. And Paul's saying, work is good, right? We're supposed to work, we're supposed to honor God in the labor of our hands. We're not supposed to wait around for handouts. Uh, So Marx's main ideas, each according to his need and each according to his ability is just garbage, right? If you take away incentive structures, no matter how much I may want to do the right thing, I am going to give in to human laziness in the flesh, right? That is just a part of who I am. Now, if you look at church history, whenever this idea of centralizing economic structures started happening in the church, they were always abused. There is no exception to that rule. Whenever the church became the centralizing force behind economic security within a country, they abused that authority and held it over the people's heads. Where do you think the idea of indulgences came from in the first place? It was essentially a tax that the Catholic church put on the parishioners in order to get money from them so they could support their projects, and they misused their funds. Many, many ministries have been caught in the past misusing the funds of those who gave it to them. And some of them didn't do it nefariously. Some of them did not do it because they're like, oh, we're going to take advantage of our parishioners and this is going to be great. Yeah, we have this great ministry out to the African orphans, but really I'm just kind of, you know, feathering my pad in L.A. And what's wrong with that? No, 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 a lot of it was some of it was like that. But a lot of it is we want to do the right thing. But because they didn't earn the money, they didn't respect the money and they misused it many churches misuse their funds because they have no concept of what it means to accumulate money through hard work, to develop capital, to develop finances, and they misuse the funds that are given to them. So I'm not saying that the system of tithing is bad and that churches should be a for-profit enterprise, that would be bad. But what I am saying is that what capitalism does is it distributes power to the people in a very direct way And it allows for anybody to rise to prominence within Mm -hmm. a given society. That's a good thing. That is led. We talk about welfare and we talk about taking care of people. Even Marx in the Communist Manifesto admits that capitalism raised the worldwide global state of impoverished people higher than any system prior to it. Even he has to admit that. And the problem is, is that he didn't give a better solution. He thought he did, but he didn't. Capitalism checks human depravity hmm. it also contributes to it so we have to be careful but it does a better job than any other system at checking human depravity so we need to be very careful when, when again we poke holes in things like well this this promotes greed right wall street greed is good that's what gordon gecko says in that movie well yeah it can promote greed but so can all the other systems mm-hmm. right show me a communistic system in which greed isn't present Right.
0: Yeah. It's funny how some of these dictators still live in multimillion dollar mansions and have plenty of food to eat while their citizens are lining up to buy a loaf of
1: bread. That's why the the joke of Black Lives Matter is uh, BLM actually stands for buy large mansions because because the founders of Black Lives Matter spent millions of dollars on multiple homes and did nothing
0: for the actual black
1: community. That's right. Did absolutely nothing for the black community. So it it's as the founder said. It's not the best system. It's actually the worst system, except for all the others, right? Human nature is depraved and messed up. That's what James Madison is saying. You're mm-hmm. never gonna find the perfect system, but you can perhaps find the least bad system. And that's what we're after. So mm-hmm. Marx was, Marxism is at its strongest when it's criticizing the excesses of capitalism. Mm-hmm. However, just because capitalism has excesses doesn't mean it doesn't have positives. And it also doesn't mean that Marxism doesn't have worse excesses, because it absolutely does.
0: So it's the lesser of all the evils. That's right. Not just the lesser of two, but the lesser of all potential. At least so, so far as we know, and no one else has come up with a better way to account for human depravity and yet bring, you know, poverty. I mean, Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. Yeah. And so I, I think that remains to be true today. However, it seems that, Well, the current system has done the best job in human history at raising the the quality of life for everyone. Yeah. Well, thank you, Peter. That's uh, very enlightening, and I'm hoping that next week we can maybe tackle some of those positive criticisms and how we would respond to those. And then, more importantly, how do we offer a biblical response to these ideas, and what do Christians do today Hmm. that can (laughs) not be a frog in the kettle, so to speak? no you know here in our own because there's a mentality that oh we just have to live the christian life love everyone share the gospel when it's appropriate and opportunistic and that's it we shouldn't get involved any any other way it's a distraction from the gospel i'm not saying that's incorrect but i want to know if scripture has something to say about that <clears throat> yeah, well let's we only we've only have a couple questions one is uh, really interesting that i've uh i think we'll I I don't know about you, but I may have to go and study it a little further. But the question is, uh, hi, hey, I heard they found the Gateway Garden of Eden and the body of Adam in Golgotha. Some archaeologist website um, called Ar- the archaeologist. <laughs> is this true? Do we know when, uh, where Eden is located and Adam buried?
1: So I have not heard anything about that article, but what I will say is that once Adam and Eve are cast out of the Garden of Eden, a cherub is placed in the front of it, preventing man from going in. So um, there are a couple theories about what that actually means. Uh, one theory is that the flood just wiped out Eden. It's not You can't find it anymore. It's completely gone. Uh, the second thing is that you would never find the corpse of Adam in Eden because he was cast out of Eden. Uh, And the third thing is is that it seems to be around the Tigris and Euphrates River. So if we are going to find it, it's not going to be in Golgotha. It's going to be somewhere else in the area of the Middle East. Uh, There's also another theory that one of the main geographical points within the Garden of Eden is the Tree of Life. Now, we know where the Tree of Life is. It's in heaven. So there is a theory in which Eden actually just represented the touching place between heaven and earth and Adam and Eve in a pre-fallen state, can go th- back and forth between heaven and earth. And then after we are fallen, we can no longer go back into heaven. So uh, in other words, when it's talking about the geographical points like the Tigris River and you know, the various uh, ores and things that could be found in the land, what the author is, is saying is that there is a place where heaven actually touched earth and Adam and Eve could go back and forth between it in their pre-fallen state. And that what God did after the fall is he just set up a cherubim, some sort of a guarding force that prevented man from entering into the spiritual existence of heaven um, in his fallen state. And that will be restored through Christ, right? This is why the imagery of the ladder to heaven was presented to Jacob and this is why Jesus says that he is that ladder and this is also why in the book of Revelation you see heaven come down and once again touch earth. That's a theory. I think it works with a lot of the passages, but I'm not really too sure. So I I haven't read the article, but I could tell you just in the initial description that you gave me, I don't think there's any possibility that it's accurate, that, that that's actually Eden, but... Well, some early church fathers believed that
0: the burial place of Adam was where Jesus was crucified but um, they didn't really give any like necessarily credence but it was like a be poetic it was a sort of more of a theologically motivated concept rather than a historically motivated one right Uh, but I think scripture seems to indicate that Adam was buried the same place that Abraham was um, and I can't remember the the actual uh, um, reference Let's see if I can find it here. Well, something, again, uh, we'd be happy to look up and maybe have Sean and Scott maybe tackle it uh, on Wednesday. It's a really good question, though. It's interesting. Theologically, if it were significant or not, not quite sure, but uh, really interesting. And there's a lot of (laughs) self-proclaimed archaeologists making radical claims like, oh, we, we know where the Ark is. I've seen it. I talked to the guy who's the caretaker of it some really radical stuff so you got to take these kinds of things with a grain of salt yeah uh, but but you did the, you took the right first step by, by at least asking questions and that's that's mm. a good thing no, absolutely um let's see is there any this is from I am sorry I'm not going to attempt <laughs> your name because I will butcher it but it's like uh, thank you Adanini mm. Uh, good evening pastors uh, Please, is there any way we can say, from a biblical perspective, that God already programmed everything, good or bad, that will happen here on earth? In other words, has God already determined everything?
1: Hmm. Um, So this kind of gets into Calvinist versus Arminian thought, and also Molinism, of how God operates in His sovereignty towards His creation. So the one thing that all Christians agree about, is that God is totally in control of the created order. The question is, is how does he exercise that control? Uh, so someone who's more Calvinistic, they believe that God exercises that control completely and totally, right? He is he has created mankind in a very particular way. We have a nature and that nature is dictated by God and all of our decisions, all of our actions, and behaviors, good and bad, are all predestined by God and purposed by God for His glory in very particular ways. An Arminian well, there is, a,
0: there is a gradation within the Calvinistic yes, side of that is true.
1: pure fatalism
0: versus I have freedom, but it's within the framework of my bondage to sin. Right. So they can say, I, I have freedom to sin, because <laughs> <Right. laughs> I am have a sin nature, and that was decreed by God yeah. because of the fall. But, you know, uh, anyway, go ahead.
1: Absolutely. And there's a, so I'm just giving kind of the, the broad strokes poles of these various arguments. Like you said, there's gradations in all of them. An Arminian would say, well, no, 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 God has sovereignty, but he exercises that sovereignty in relation to man's freedom. So meaning that we can choose and elect to do things, and that actually affects God's plan and his will. Mm -hmm. It's not that he doesn't have it all figured out and understand how things are going to move, but that he does move in response to man. That's kind of a more extreme Arminian perspective. Molinism takes kind of a middle approach. where it's yeah. Yeah, ish. Uh, where it's like, well, God has something called middle knowledge, and he knows not only everything that can happen, will happen— I mean, I'm sorry, can happen, has happened, and will happen, but he also has a concept of understanding all potentialities, everything that could potentially happen based on your decisions. And God exercises sovereignty, and we have free will within the middle knowledge of God. So it's a really interesting concept. You could do a little bit more research, but the thing that, again, all Christians agree about— is that God is sovereign over his creation. Uh, it says in Psalm chapter 2, he sits in the hev- Psalm 115, sorry, he sits in the heavens and does as he pleases, right? Mm-hmm. God is over everything. He does what he wills. But we also agree that there is a amount of free will that humanity has, but everything is foreordained by God. He has mm-hmm. already understands how it's going to end.
0: It's like a bunch of puzzle pieces that are true, but how they fit together is always an ongoing discussion. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed the program. Please chime in back again tomorrow, same place, same time. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.